0: Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Kristen. And tonight, we're going to talk about what things were like when we were little babby programmers. Little tiny ones. Ee-e-e-e-e-e-e with our clay tablets. Uh, but, before we do that, you had some exciting news about the Jamstack this week, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, so... Went ahead and moved forward with this headless CMS I was talking about. So I went ahead and took my Rails app and just modified it to be able to essentially record blog stuff. And how I set it up is to insert IDs for images, audio, and video for like the YouTube video or in the podcast. Those are just attributes to the record. And I went ahead and decided to set it up that way. Did a simple API to be able to pull down all the posts. And then I used the middleman feature dynamic pages to be able to call out to that API, pull down the post information, and then use that to build out all the pages for each episode. So the way it was working before there's no concept of like a controller and a view in Middleman. Basically, you have these templates, but there's no real Ruby file to be able to store data. I mean, I tried a bunch of different ways, but the only way I found to actually be able to do it, they basically, they have one config.rb. And basically, that's where all the code goes. You can break it out, I think, into a separate file. But basically, I just use that one file and use this dynamic pages to be able to pass data to it. Otherwise I don't see a way with the static site generator to pass dynamic data from a particular place. I mean, I suppose <clears throat> you could just, they're using ERB template, so I could embed Ruby right in the template. So that's possible, but I wouldn't want to call that for every page to render. That would be a nightmare. Yeah. But anyway, using this, I was able to get it working. And as a result of this, well, let me take a step back. So how middleman, work, middleman works is that I had a, there's a one-to-one, one-to-one relationship of template page and actual page, and it pulls data from a YAML file. So basically the day all the data is stored in this YAML file and you can call it to be able to pull the data onto the template so basically the only thing that varies between but the reason i needed these templates per page is because that is what defines what the url slug is Mm. but with this dynamic pages i don't have to do that so essentially with this new setup so quite long-winded my apologies (laughs) with this set with this setup I was able to remove a four thousand plus line YAML file, oh. two hundred episode pages. Oh. This is from Scaling Postgres, not Rubber Duck Dev Show, because I did both of them, and the numbers are just bigger scaling, for Scaling Postgres. So there you go. So two hundred episode pages, twenty episodes pages. This is where you go next page, next page. Well, I had separate page and the structure for that. Oh boy as well as well as 400 images because I was keeping two sizes of each image. Oh. But what I moved to is using a image service called Cloudinary and I'm using that for another purpose. So basically I repurposed it because that enables me to just upload the image once and then get variants of it pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And I can put the, what the final URL is right in the, the code. Because I explored using Rails's um, uh, active storage, but that would have been difficult to work with because then it's pushed to AWS. Well, how do I get it out of AWS to build the file? There was a whole lot of, it wasn't really built for my use case. So basically I was, how I thought about it is, all right, well, it's just another set of media. So YouTube, I just need a essentially an ID with it that is able to build a URL to render or embed a YouTube video. Same thing for podcasts, there's a, an ID that they give you that you put into a URL and you embed the podcast. Well, I'm essentially doing the same thing for the images. I upload them to Cloudinary, they give me an ID and I put in a URL to be able to render the image. Hmm. So. Yeah, so doing this, I'm super happy because now if to publish an episode, I just go to my homegrown headless CMS I did (laughs) and just say new post, fill out the form, click submit, you know, add the uh, references or the links for that episode. And then I just go to middleman and run the build. Nice and it's all done. Whereas before, I used to have to create a page, update the YAML file, update, you know, there was multiple steps having to go back and forth. Yikes. That, Yeah, I mean, any other programmer would probably be pulling their hair out, but (laughs) I'm like, well, it works. Don't rock the boat. But once I found this solution, I'm like, oh, this is so much better. (laughs) So there's only one thing, (laughs) there's only one thing that is still static, And that's the index page that says what episode is coming up. Mm. So that's the only thing if I, you know, I can go in and change that per weekly. I mean, I could automate that in terms of putting it in the CMS tube or, you know, the headless CMS, but I'm I'm not worried about that
0: right now. Right. Well, that's cool. So that the, the Jamstack stuff is really useful. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, again, I've been using it for years. Just didn't but know that. <laughs> this well, this no, I knew what it was, and I knew that's what it was called. But the thing that directed me to push push more was this headless CMS. Mm. So I wasn't using that at all. I was using the standard flow and middleman of the static pages and the thousand plus line yaml file that is the database Eek. for all the data stored
0: so well this sounds way better
1: oh yeah and i was able to you know automate the transfer of it and program ad, program the transition so once i had done the rubber duck dev show which took i don't know how many hours you know Once I did that to transition all 200 episodes of scaling Postgres, because it was mostly automated, took like less than an hour to go in and change this code here, this code here, you know, and run some stuff. And it was, you know, took a 20th of the time it took the rubber duck dev show, but I'm like, okay, it works. Now I just need to apply it to the other site. So it's not been, these changes haven't been published yet because I didn't want to change anything on a show night. Right. But that'll be coming soon. Cool.
0: Well, I had kind of an uneventful week. I, I was doing a lot of sport. We just got, there was a, one of our biggest clients has got their staging environment getting ready to go to production in like a week or two. And so we're just getting inundated with a bunch of last-minute tickets. Um, so I've had to have be head down in in logs all week. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's it's just one of those things you got to do when you're a, a developer. It's you, you got to ha- handle the support sometimes too. Um, you know, we have a support team, but they can only do so much. They're not code people yeah yeah so
1: they can't look at the code to see this is why it's
0: right happening. they can get all the information and ask a bunch of questions but when it you know there there are a lot of support tickets that are just like oh, i don't know why it's doing that just pass it to a developer so but anyway so mostly uneventful stuff for me this week um lots of lots of Admin behind the scenes, goofy things. I may have spent a grand total of maybe five hours actually doing code this for, in a week. It was it was oh, which can it can get a little frustrating, but you know it's it's the job, it's what you do.
1: Yeah, ebbs and flows.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So here's here's the fun stuff. We're gonna use the Wayback Machine and and talk about where Where we started in our careers and what things were like, and how we got into it, and why we got into it, and all just all the fun history stuff, so I'm gonna let you start it out go why why did you get into programming?
1: Well, it actually it I wasn't a wee baby; it took me a long time before I did it, so basically, I've always been a techie working and fiddling with computers, but I never did a whole lot of programming. Um, you know, I, I, my parents would get computers. They would try to, you know, use them somewhat in the business. I'd always be playing games with them, but I'd always be tinkering with them and configuring them. Okay. Let's get the printer working. Let's get the, this disc storage working and whatnot. Uh, you know, and so much so that, you know, when they were actually using computers for the business, I remember distinctly in my high school, they had, um, what do you call it? like intercoms or whatever, like speakers that the people in the administration could basically ring up different classrooms. And I remember coming over to the PA and please have Creston call his parents at the conclusion of class. <laughs> I don't like Okay. What's going Uh-oh. on? You know, people are like, Oh, what's <laughs> going on? Is your aunt died or your uncle died or is it something going on? So I used, this is how long ago, what, how long ago it was. There were no cell phones. I had a, went down to the pay phone, put in my quarter, called my parents. And they're like, when you got the computer and you're trying to get it to do this, how do you do that? You know? <laughs> so I was doing a support call between classes in high school, oh god, it never stops. <laughs> <laughs> now I would type code in for magazines and stuff, and I never really wrote a lot of my own. So, you know, i I was always with computers. I was always fixing them, fiddling with them, but I didn't really do a whole heck of a lot of coding. And at the point where I was going to college, I was teetering between engineering school or the arts and sciences school so and it not necessarily i was going to do computers and engineering because i could have done mechanical engineering or electrical engineering or you know something else Mm -hmm. um but i eventually chose arts and sciences with the goal of doing biology and through that my whole undergraduate never took a single computer course um but i still always tinkered with it and fiddled with it Maybe maybe not as much as I usually did. You know, I kept learning about computers. And primarily, that was to play PC games. Because to play <laughs> PC games, you had to know on DOS, the disk operating system, you had to know how to edit autoexecbat and config.sys to no end to get those programs to run and not crash.
0: Oh, the black screen. yay! <laughs>
1: And so that was through my undergraduate. And then I actually went to graduate school after I graduated because I was going to be doing a PhD in cell and molecular biology. So I started in that. And even there, I was like setting the computers up, getting them connected to the internet, again, all fiddling with them. And I started enjoying the computers more than my lab work that I was supposed to be doing. (laughs) So I was like, all right, my plan is to I'm gonna finish out my PhD, but I'm still gonna do kind of computer stuff on the side um, because I love doing it. And maybe I'll get a job kind of see if I can merge both of them. And this was, and when I was made that decision, this is the one time I took anything computer related, is I audited, so it wasn't for a grade, but I audited a course in C. So that is the only course i ever took related to programming or computers in general i think in my entire school career and it was an audited thing <laughs> so as you can tell I, I have a lot of experience not <laughs> so what happened at that point is my plans well it didn't get derailed because i was interested in doing it i got a job opportunity doing Uh, being a systems administrator. So basically working on computers and servers and stuff like that at the same college where I was doing my PhD. So I went ahead and pulled the parachute on that and got out of the PhD program and started doing systems administration. Did a project with that and they said, okay, we wanna give you some more responsibility. And then I started doing a lot of database administration primarily with with Microsoft SQL server. Now, at this point, we were doing a fundraising conversion that, I mean, I should say, it's like a CRM conversion. They were switching over their customer relationship management system. Mm -hmm. And then I got my hands into some Microsoft Active Server, Server pages because there was something written using the Microsoft Web ASP pages. And the package system that we were using was incredibly slow generating uh, transaction history. Like it would be spinning for minutes. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it because with Microsoft SQL Server, you can actually see the queries that were being sent to the database. And basically my head exploded. I was like, no wonder this thing is taking two minutes. and basically i rewrote an asp page that presented the data that was of interest and did it in like maybe two or three calls and it rendered in like seconds versus minutes for this product that we paid for <laughs> so that shows an indication of my you know my performance consulting that i tend to do is i look at things like this is too slow Should be doing it this way. Yep. That evolved into doing some cold fusion related stuff. So did some cold fusion related stuff in a first version of uh, like an online form, like my product does. And then at that point, pretty much I, um, you know, we talked about starting the company and I started the company. And it was probably around 2008, we were talking about it and you were saying you should use Ruby on Rails or we should use Ruby on Rails. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. So I buy three books, read them, did the practice. And then I'm like, okay, start. <laughs> and just start building uh, the thing. Yeah. So basically I have no programming degree. I only audited a C course in graduate school. Other than that, I've never took, you know, in so no high school, no college education, really for credit on programming. I just have always been a tinkerer. And if I ever, if I ever needed to learn something, I went and read number of books on the subject and then started doing it.
0: Yeah. And that's, I've run into a lot of, of developers that have the, kind of a similar story there was there was no in indi- no inkling of being a developer until after they got into the workforce and then they said oh this is a thing i like doing and kind of fell into it so there's and I, I it seems like i run into those people more often than i went to college for programming type folks you know that's that's not that doesn't seem to be as common and and i think it's I think it's because development is, has so many different, um, aspects to it. There's, you know, kind of the, the logical engineering aspect. There's, there's an aspect of art to programming, um, creativity and stuff. Um, you know, there's, there's math involved, there's storytelling involved. There's all kinds of, 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 Expertise that needs to go into development, and it's it's a big thing. So I think that's probably why you see a lot of people that didn't start as programmers or developers, and kind of work their way into it through their careers. Um, my story's a little different, but not not too much. I mean, because I started with you know going. I can remember my dad got a, the Apple II. Our first home computer was an Apple II and the big five and a quarter inch floppy, double floppy. Oh, I had the double floppy disks. I was the big cheese on the cul-de-sac buddy. All the friends came over to play the big games because I had two disk drives in my computer. But, you know, he did, he did IT stuff in the, he was a naval officer and he was doing some IT stuff and got a, uh master's degree in in information technology and things when I was younger. So we always had computers around. And I can remember one of the things I would do kind of for fun was go down to the bookstore. Kids, a bookstore is where we had these things called books that were physically in a store that you would buy and read in the mall. That that's a big building that has lots of different stores in it that you would go into. And most of the time they would have a bookstore. So I'd go down to the mall to the bookstore and they'd have these programming books that you could buy that were basically they they were just lists of code in basic. And so you'd and, and it'd say, Okay, this is the the magic bouncing ball, and you'd have like these five pages of basic code and you'd type it in and then you'd get to see this square ball bounce around the screen. Oh, that's so cool. So then I got into, um, in when I was probably sixth grade, uh, I got into this thing called Olympics of the Mind, which was basically um, teams of people from different schools would get together and compete on um, brain game challenges. And there was one year where we had to build this robot that would um, autonomously move through a, a grid and pick up certain things and avoid other things, and that was the first real programming I ever did because I was I, I didn't do the robot building bits. Um, there were some other kids that had parents that helped them with that, um, but I did. Uh, I was helping with the programming. Of the robot and it was very rudimentary simple stuff we're not talking about advanced ai here and it may sound from the description like it was some advanced robot but it was it was really simple stuff but still you know in sixth or seventh grade that was that was a big deal especially back in the mid 80s when nobody did that stuff um but it, you know, in high school, I kind of got away from all of that stuff, and I wasn't I wasn't really into computers. I'd, I'd play games every once in a while, computer games, but go over to my friend's house on their Commodore sixty fours, and you know, wait twenty minutes for a game to load up off of a cassette tape. <laughs> and, oh God, I remember those days. That was that was hideous. Um, but. I didn't really do much with computers. And I actually went to started my undergrad degree for uh electrical and mechanical engineering.
1: That's funny how you say that. Right. <laughs> I was considering the engineering school. Yep.
0: Yeah. And uh that that does seem to be a commonality, is that this engineering mindset goes into programming a lot. Um okay.
1: Software engineering.
0: Right. But um, th- that that lasted a semester, and I said, nah, engineering's not my thing. So I went into um, business, the business school, and they had just started a degree that was kind of a blended CS and management degree. It was uh, management science and information technology. So I got into that, and, ended up having to take quite a few coding courses. I had to take C, C++, Fortran, COBOL, um, but we never got down to, like, bit coding and stuff. We weren't the pure CS things. Um, You know, I wasn't in there wiring motherboards and stuff, but I got exposed to a lot of uh, stuff like that, plus the management courses and the, the marketing and the accounting Accounting sucked, but the marketing and the, the management science things and, and all that. But I got um, interested in, there was a course on databases. And of course, this used Microsoft Access. Um and we would we were doing a lot of rudimentary things with you know building an access database, figuring out how to get data into and out of Excel spreadsheets and manipulate things and write SQLs. And I ended up doing some extra projects for my professor because I was just interested in learning that. So I helped that the the business school set up their um, one of their information systems in-house, programmed a bunch of it. Uh, the data set up the database and stuff, which actually ended up earning me the four credit hours that I was short for graduation because my advisor didn't calculate correctly. So um, that was good, but uh, but that's kind of I I, I kind of grew into programming through databases. And then my first job, the reason I got my first job is that out of they out of about a hundred applicants. I was the only one who knew how to write a select statement in a database. So they said, that's why you're hired.
1: That's that's scary.
0: It it is. Well, I mean, to be fair, this is back in the early 90s. So, you know, the internet wasn't even (laughs) really a common thing yet. So, you know, that would be really scary now. But, um You know, back then it was.
1: Well, I'm sure there's plenty of people that don't know how they just rely upon their programming languages interface to do things.
0: Right. Or they can just Google it back yeah. back in the early 90s. You couldn't you couldn't Google it. There was there was no such thing. Um, so I, then I started getting into actual programming. I started with kind of database management and SQL writing. And that morphed into programming as I got further and further on into my field. But I still, most of my career has been kind of like my degree. It's been split between actual coding and project management stuff, more of the management side things, which I, I really enjoy. Um, so that's kind of the track I took. But looking looking back, it's, it's funny that, because you, you were talking about, putting code in out of magazines and that was kind of the only place you could see code because you couldn't go on the oh, internet yeah. and look at it y- y- you know there
1: was no internet right or, no it existed but only for but it. only
0: for the military <laughs> military yeah <laughs> and higher education places um but yeah it, it was i just remember you know doing a couple of programs at home and it was just such a such a wild thing to see this little you know, bouncing glob of pixels around the screen. It wasn't even bouncing. It was just moving. Um, And it would take, you know, like pages and pages of code to get that to happen. And it wasn't even color. It was just a white thing on a black screen, you know. But that back then, that was really cool that you could get something to do that. It just, you know...
1: Yeah, I mean, I I did something similar, like with the Atari, they had a bouncing Atari symbol. This is the Atari computers, not the actual video game console. And I remember getting that to work and thinking, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, so this is part of my tinkering. It's like I never would really call it programming, you know, type thing. But I would look at code, like even in my, when I was in my graduate degree, they had some programs that they relied upon that were written in Fortran. And I remember looking at some of the code. I can't, I don't think I ever modified anything, but still, you know, I would put Excel, build Excel formulas to do some data analysis and things like that, but, Mm -hmm. you know, never really built an actual program.
0: Yeah, all I can say is, thank God, by the time I got out of college and into the workforce, Fortran was a dead language, because, oh God, that was horrible.
1: Well, it was around while you were, it,
0: it's still around. Oh yeah, it is, it's but like I Cobol. didn't have to cr- try to find a job with it. There was, well, sure, there was other sure stuff. Sure. At that point, it was, COBOL and Fortran were mostly just being used by legacy servers at, like, big banks and stuff like that. Um. I think some of them still are actually, which is a little frightening, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, those, I, I really did not enjoy any of the language classes that I had in, in college. It was, I just, I really did not like those classes.
1: Now I had a curiosity. What, why is that? Is it that Why?
0: Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know because it, 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 because now I love learning new languages, um, programming languages. I'm I'm unilingual in you know spoken languages, but
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: um, but, but programming languages. I just love learning new languages, and they they really interest me in seeing the differences in syntax and stuff like that. But when I was in in school. I guess there was a, I was really much more interested in the management business side of, of the education. The only technical side thing that I really got excited about was the database stuff. And I guess, I guess that appealed to kind of my information organization mindset, which is kind of translates to project management. It's probably why I like that so much is because it's organizing information and and making systems that can deal with that information efficiently. Um, but yeah, the, the the languages it could also be because there weren't any really I guess the languages I had to take, I suppose you would call them like second generation 2GL languages. Because it was, you know, like C and C++ and Fortran and COBOL. So it was was really arduous and it it was just really nasty to write. They weren't fun to write languages like, like Ruby is. I mean, Ruby is fun to write in.
1: But do you think it was the languages or do you think it was how it was taught?
0: uh it could have been some of how it was taught i mean uh, you know those classes were pretty dry it was it was kind of hard to stay awake in them a lot of times um i mean
1: some cl- a lot of classes they seem to have a lot of theory and i guess i have less patience for theory
0: mm-hmm.
1: i guess show me mechanically how because I always have an interest in I've two big buckets of interest with regard to technology stuff is, and then, or technical things. One is understanding how something works. That's kind of like why I went the biology route and why I found that interesting because I was always discovering how things worked. And the other side is building things. So I'm kind of like, give me the nuts and bolts of how this language works and it's primitives and whatnot. Okay. And now I want to build something with it or to do something with it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of theory crafting and stuff like that. I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, you know,
0: <laughs> see, I'm actually, I am actually have the patience for, I'm actually kind of the opposite from that. I think I, I like more because my, the, the programming classes were very mechanical. It was, you know, this is how you do this kind of line. This is how you do this kind of, of method. This is the structure. This is the mechanical stuff. Okay, now regurgitate it on the test. There wasn't any real um, creative thinking involved in in those classes. I'm not saying the languages didn't involve creative thing thinking or programming with them didn't. But those classes had no creativity to them. It was just here's the mechanical bits of this language spit them back out on this piece of paper and that just didn't intrigue me because i like to i like to look at systems and kind of break them down and find ways to make them more efficient um you know identify the inefficiencies in systems and figure out ways to automate them or or reduce the the amount of risk in them or make them flow better and those programming classes just didn't afford me an opportunity to think like that because they were never big enough projects to have a system. Right. They they were just,
1: and I think that's a little different than kind of, I was thinking about theory crafting, like why this is the best language and doing it, why we do it this way versus the other way. I think more of the theory crafting Yeah. as opposed to some of that, but,
0: or yeah, the theoretical stuff about databases, like, BCNF form, which is has no practical use at all. I mean, Boyce-Codd is, yes, you can get it to that level of.
1: Well, no, it's the but, normal forms above Boyce-Codd that.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, even Boyce-Codd ends up kind of breaking down in the real world. But oh yeah. But uh, but yeah, that kind of stuff. That's all. That's just purely the. I understand the the value of that kind of thinking um, for advancement and stuff. I just don't have the patience for that kind of thing, but I do like the, the more thinky parts of um, the more creative thinking parts of development rather than the mechanical parts of development. I think, you know, I do both, but I prefer, you know, sitting at a whiteboard, drawing out diagrams, thinking through issues, finding flows and things like that is is just what I like to do.
1: Yeah, I mean this is kind of remind kind of what you're talking what you're talking about here is I'm thinking about, you know, what I was doing with this headless CMS is that when I was how am I going to handle the images? I probably spent more time thinking about that and struggling as opposed to coding, just thinking, how am I going to do this? What way is going to work? What ways are going to paint me in a box and not work, you know, and exploring each of the different options because there's, I could have done it five, 10 different ways, but then finally, ultimately saying, all right, why don't I just treat it like I'm doing the audio and the video where it's just this unique identifier that can be built into a URL just treat it that way and have an external service take care of the image mm-hmm. and not building it in my, you know, headless CMS thing. So basically my headless CMS just accepts that identifier that I can build a URL from and that external system or that service provides the image on that for my behalf. So that was a very elegant way. And I didn't have to build in a whole image component to my homegrams you know, CMS. So that took a lot of, that was very elegant and it saved a lot of time Mm -hmm. what I was going to, you know,
0: do. Right. And and that's, I think that's the the part I like most about the development is when I get to step back and kind of look at the whole thing and say, okay, what's the, let's figure out the best way to solve this problem because there's 85 different ways to solve this problem. Let's collaborate and find the best one. Right. And, and I think I run into a lot of developers that are, I think on the mechanic, more mechanically minded side where it's, let's just hack this code out and get this thing working next thing. Let's hack it out and get this thing working. I don't like that. My brain doesn't work like that. I got to, okay. How does this thing going to fit into the rest of the system? And should we do this thing? Is it going to fit correctly? right or are we going to have to make changes around it um and that that kind of thinking just engages me i think more than the than the other there's nothing wrong with the other if if i wasn't working with people who were mechanically minded i'd never be able to actually accomplish anything because i'd be thinking all the time instead of actually doing stuff i think um so i think it's important to have those both of those mindsets um on a team but th- that th- the mechanical bits never really interested me which is probably why why i only lasted a semester in mechanical engineering in school i was like "This, this no <laughs> this is not for me but yeah
1: i have no experience so i don't know what that was like <laughs> uh all right. What 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 aspect of it did you not like? The mechanical engineering? Uh
0: it there it was just too fiddly. It was too I don't like to be down in the weeds. And mechanical engineering is at least when I the the stuff I was taking was very down in the weeds. I prefer what I've always called um programming from the press box so that, you know, I can get up high and see the entire system. So yeah, I like to concentrate on one thing, but I like to have my eye on everything that's going on so that I know how I'm fitting and I can make adjustments if if things outside that move. Um, The engineering stuff was, was a lot more focused and I, I, I'm trying to say this where it doesn't sound like I'm putting it down because it's not like mechanical engineering is a bad thing and the, you know, those people suck. Well, no. we
1: need them, or the, bill- the right. bridges and the buildings fall down.
0: Right, exactly. I, I mean, it's it's important work, and they're really smart people. It's just, I didn't like my brain wasn't cut out for that way of thinking. It was, it was too focused for me. I like being a little higher and looking at whole systems, which I know mechanical engineers sometimes will look at systems and stuff, but the stuff I was doing in my first semester at college for mechanical engineering wasn't that. And so it just kind of turned me off. So, you know.
1: So what would you say, like, how did you learn to code? Do you think, do you think cause you took more classes than I did? What was the thing that actually caused you to learn how to code? I mean, Me, I've always just been fiddly, and I always just, meaning I've always been a tinkerer and a builder. So I said, you know, I'm always like, all right, I want to build this thing. I get to understand the primitives. Okay, this is how you do a loop, a conditional, or what, you know, variables, whatever, like, okay. And then I have something in mind I want to build, and I just start building it. And then I hit a wall, and I either read more of a book or if the internet existed, I looked it up on the internet to be able to get around the wall, and then I just keep going. Right. That's how I learned to code It's essentially, you know there's a company that existed a while ago, and their motto was "Learn by doing mm-hmm. so basically it's I just kept doing it and then learning more based upon the of the doing it. How would you say you actually learned?
0: I mean, I learned in college because I, part of the degree was kind of CS based. I learned a lot about the, the fundamentals of programming, you know, what a loop is, what an if statement is, what, you know, what logical conditionals are and, and things like that. But I, I don't think that I took much of that knowledge into my first job, uh, it was more the database stuff because I got so interested in that. Got me into the first job. And then, and of course SQL is is a type of programming essentially. Um, it, it has a lot of logic, logicality to it and conditionals and things like that. So um, what ended up happening was my boss just said, hey, I need you to start programming this thing. And I said, well, I'd I'd like to still pay my bills, so I guess I'll learn how to program this thing. (laughs) So, you know, so it was just one of those learn by doing things, you know, school hard knocks kind of stuff, which is fine. I actually prefer learning that way. I don't, I'm not much for classroom learning. I was never very good at it. I'm much better at learning things by actually getting my fingers on them and doing them. Um.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an example of... Um, I'm thinking about an example of where I had the ASP.net pages. Did I have an aspiration to learn enough ASP.net because I wanted to program in it? No, I had users that were frustrated with the package and I looked into the problem and was horrified by what <laughs> I was seeing. And I was like, this can't be that hard. So <laughs> I looked into it and I built something that was... So much faster. Right. So I'm like, okay, there you go. Yeah. Well, and, and I, it's not like I kept building with it. I was just, there was a need and I met the need and there you go.
0: Right. And the one thing that I do see as a commonality between almost every developer, software engineer, coder, whatever you want to call them, that I've ever met is that they love problem solving. I mean, when you, when you strip all the rest of it away, what they really like to do is solve a problem. It doesn't matter what the problem is. They want to find a way to solve it. They also want to find a way to solve it that takes the minimum wa- amount of ongoing work from them, <laughs> which, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but programmers are by nature, I think, lazy people. We don't want to do work, so yeah. we get computers to do it which sometimes can be a lot of work. But, you know, our mindset is, well, I don't want to do this over and over again. If I have to do it more than once, that's why we have computers. They don't care if they have to do it a thousand times. So, and I'll, you know, I'll sit in the Barco lounger and watch TV while the computer handles all that crap, you know? So I, I think that's the mindset is we just like solving problems. Um, regardless of what kind of problem it is. And, you know, because programmers, I routinely see them. Here's here's a new problem. Okay, well, let me go looking for some technology that'll solve this. Not necessarily technology I've used before. It's not going to be the same thing I used to solve the last problem. It'll be a completely new thing, but I'm going to solve it and I'll go find a way to do it. And that, I think, is the, the kind of the the hallmark of what developers are is they just like to solve problems. That's why they get into it for the most part. I mean, some of them are into it for, you know, the the money, but (laughs) but, eh, not early on. Um, But anyway, okay. so that's our stories. Um, it was weird. What was weird? <laughs> we, we have stories. <laughs> uh, eh, Freaking chat spam. Um. Anyway, chat spam. Chat spam. There's always a spammer. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, we'd love to hear more about your stories. How did you get into programming? What parts of programming do you like? What parts of programming do you not like? Put it in the comments below. Uh, If you did enjoy this, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Uh, Mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. Uh, Join us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern for more Dev Talk. Please tell your friends. And next week, we've got more mystery episodes. We're really kind of having an idea glut here lately and just haven't had time to sit down and think, think ahead of things crazy crazy but work we
1: times. had talked about having an uh, kind of a continuation on this is like kind of if we were starting to be a programmer what would we do differently yeah or what would we do today and that's not necessarily means that that's going to be the episode next week but because we may come up with another topic but that's probably one that's going to be coming at some point
0: right so if you want to stay up to date on what we're going to be doing, you know, follow us on Twitter at Show, and we'll put it up there. Uh, also, you can hear this podcast on all the places that podcasts live. And make sure you visit us on RubberDuckDevShow.com. Sign up for our newsletter and see all our episodes there. Until next time, happy programming. Happy programming.